Father, we're here to praise you, to praise the name of the one who came and lived and died and was raised so that we could have eternal life. God, we praise you. You are the Lord of lords and the King of kings, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. You are the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, I just pray now that uh, you would use your word by the power of your spirit to work in our hearts. I pray for those that maybe have been drifting from you, that are struggling in their faith, that today they'd be challenged to run with endurance. And I pray for those that don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of their salvation, for your glory, for their good. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Welcome. It's great to see everybody this morning. And uh, anybody feel like it's daylight savings time? Yeah, I see a couple of those yawns. Yeah, but it's great to have everybody here this morning. Thanks for uh, being part of our 9 a.m. As we know that uh, this is an opportunity for us to help with our children's ministry in the days ahead. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, if you would, and find your way to Hebrew chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And if you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of the uh, black Bibles in front of you. You can find the 12th chapter of Hebrews on page 948. Why do we want you to open up God's Word? Because we want you to see what God has to say. I don't have much to say. My wife would affirm that. But God's Word has a lot to say. Have you ever felt like you were drifting from your faith? Maybe struggling in your faith? Maybe felt like packing it in? Well, if you've ever felt like that, you're not alone. The book of Hebrews was written to those who were experiencing trials and suffering. They were tempted to drift away from Christ, to drift away from their confidence in his salvation. They were tempted to go back to their old life. And for the Jews, it was going back to legalism, going back to the law, to performance. Hebrews is all about warnings. I heard one commentator says that there's 96 warnings in scriptures about, excuse me, in Hebrews about falling back versus pressing forward. Let me give you a couple. I didn't count them up, but let me give you a couple. First of all, look at Hebrews chapter 3. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. There was a concern that there were some potentially that could fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by this deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our, our original confidence firm to the end. You see this, this idea of, of holding that confidence firm to the end. Look at chapter 4. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. Since then, we have a great high priest who has pa- passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Again, hold fast your confession. The one who came, who lived, who died, who was raised. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then this, let us then with confidence 
draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. It's the idea of not falling back, holding fast to our confession, pressing in with confidence. Look at chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, we can step into the holy of holies, which used to be just for the high priest, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. When Jesus died on the cross, the curtain separating the holy place from the holy of holies, it tore from top to bottom, meaning we can now enter into his holy place. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and, and, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. One more. Just look at chapter 10. You've got your Bibles open. Look at, just, look at chapter 10. And verse 35, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Don't throw it away. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And then we get to chapter 11, and it's all about those that held on to their faith, that were strengthened by the promises of God. There were those that died in faith, knowing that God had promised them something better. They were those who were tempted to drift during trials and suffering, but instead they looked beyond their present circumstances. They trusted in the promises of God, and they looked to a future glory. People who put their faith in an extraordinary God, who ran the race, who persevered by faith, who may have stumbled at the start of their walk. Maybe in the middle of their walk, they fell. Or maybe they didn't even start their walk. They didn't start their race until later in life. But they all finished strong. The big idea of this message today is this it's not how you start but how you finish. My prayers for each one of us, our past would be our past. We wouldn't dwell in it. We'd learn from it, grow out of it, but our desire would be to finish strong, to finish the race that's been set before us. It's not how you start, but how you finish. Hebrews is a letter of encouragement. It's the fact that the Christian life is a race, And we're called to run. We're called to run that race. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, 
and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. The message of Hebrews is this. Don't stop running until you finish the race. Strive for the tape. Continue in the faith. Why? Because Jesus is better. We've talked about that these last weeks. Jesus is better than, he's, he's better than angels. He's better than the law. He's better than Moses. He's a, he's a better priest. He's a better sacrifice. Jesus is better. He's better than anything you could retreat back to. In athletics, when you have a running competition, you only have one winner. But in the Christian race, if you finish, you've won. We all win. I mean, kind of sounds, everybody gets a trophy, right? <laughs> Every, you get a trophy. Yeah, but we lost 37 to nothing. You still get a trophy. Listen, in the Christian race, if you endure by faith, you receive the commendation from the Lord. We're exhorted to run a race. In the Christian race, we don't compete against one another, but against flesh, against the world, and against the devil. The key is don't stop running. Keep running. Listen to what Paul says. In fact, I'm going to jump ahead to a verse. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete ex exercises self-control in all things. They do, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. We receive an imperishable crown if we finish the race. So what does it take to stay in the race? What does it take to stay in the race? First of all, run with steadfast endurance. Run with steadfast endurance. Endurance. Look at verse 12, look at chapter 12, verse 1 again. He says, therefore. Now, therefore means there's a continuation of a thought. I heard Al Mohler once say, you don't wake up in the morning and turn to your wife and say, therefore. That's not the way you start a conversation. It means you probably didn't finish what you were talking about last night. Not a great way. You don't meet somebody for the first time and you just say, therefore. Just, it would be weird, but there's a continuation of a thought here. And it, con it connects all the lessons that we've heard in chapter 11 with the lives that we're now called to live. And the primary cause in chapter 12, verse 1 is, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That word race, it comes from a word, agonai. What does that sound like? Agony. The race, the Christian race, is agony. It's a struggle. It's a fight. The Christian life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. We've planted a few churches in the last 20 years, and we always say that the first couple of years is a sprint. And then you move into a marathon. Well, the Christian life is a marathon. And we're called to run with endurance. 
That word endurance, it means bearing under a heavy load for a long time. It's a steady determination. Listen, if you want to run this race that is set before us, you must do it with endurance. Bearing under a heavy load. It's a steady determination to keep going, to not quit, to not turn back. Notice what it says here. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's not our own race. It's not a path that we have laid out. Who's laid it out for us? It's the Lord. It's a race. It's a a path that the Lord has laid out for us. And the fact is you can't finish a race unless you run it. Now, it's not only considered a race, but it's considered a fight. In fact, look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, fight the good fight of faith. Notice this word fight, it's the word agonai. It's the same word. Take hold of the eternal life which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul is speaking to Timothy and he says, listen, fight the good fight. I know that things are tough. Being a pastor isn't always easy, but fight the good fight. Run the race. And at the end of Paul's life, Listen to what Paul said in, chapter, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse, verse 7 and 8. He says this to, to Timothy. He says, I have fought the good fight. That, fight. that word fight, agonai. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. What day is that? The day of his coming. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. As Christians, we're called to run the race, to press on. So how do we run with steadfast endurance? First, we run with the faithful. We run with the faithful. Notice what it says in chapter 12, verse 1 again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, now that's been our whole series since early July. Cloud is a, is a word that speaks of a great horde, a great group of people. It refers to men and women who have lived and died by faith, men and women that we've talked about, Abel, Cain, Enoch, Noah, actually not Cain, uh, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Gideon, Barak, Samuel, David, all those who endured through faith. Those that were tempted to forsake their walk, but pressed on. They didn't throw away their confidence. This was a great cloud of witnesses. Witnesses, again, we talked about this. They aren't those that are up in the stands cheering us on. That word witnesses, it's where we get the word martyr. They're testifying to their lives, the fact that they ran this race under really difficult circumstances, and if they can run it, you can too. They're they're cheering you on from that standpoint. They're saying effectively, by faith, I finished this race. You can too. Press on. They're encouraging them by their faith. Notice, this cloud of witnesses, there are people. There are tribe. 
They're believers in Jesus Christ. They look to the Lord. By faith, by the assurance of better things hoped for, they're saying, you can do it. I know it can be done. They're saying, run and keep running. So we run with steadfast endurance by running with faithful saints, but we also run with discipline. We run with discipline. Notice what he says here. Now, these, this cloud of witnesses, they're our motivation. But there might be something that is hindering you, no matter how motivated you are. If you're being held back by something, then you've got to get rid of that. And that's what he says here. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. What's holding you back? To run with steadfast endurance, you must first lay aside every weight. Now that word weight, it's also translated encumbrances or hindrances. It's anything that's needless, anything that's useless, anything that could hold you back, slow you down spiritually. Let me ask you, what's holding you back spiritually? John MacArthur says this. Let me put his quote up. He says, the problem is not in what the weight is, but in what it does. It keeps us from running well and therefore from winning. Let me ask you, if you've ever watched a college track meet or a high school track meet or an Olympic track meet, they're going to come to the stadium wearing all their sweats and their headphones and anything else. But once the race is beginning to be run, what do they do? They throw aside anything that would, would hold them back. They get down to their, their Nikes or whatever else they're wearing. A weight is whatever slows you down, whatever cools your zeal for God, whatever dulls your appetite for God's word. Anything that might compromise your values. What's slowing you down? What's holding you back? What is your weight? Is it 200 pounds? No, that's not what I'm saying. Okay, it's 205. Really, Bill? All right, 210. It's not your weight weight. It's what's holding you back. What could it be? Could it be a hobby? Maybe some ambition that you're going after? Maybe a sport or social media? People spend as much time in God's word as they did scrolling in social media. Just think what it would do to the church. The fire it would light. Could it be video games? Here's one that can hold you back. Religion. Trying to do all these things from God and not being with God. Listen, we love people serving, but don't replace your serving with your relationship with the Lord. That's where Mark chapter, thir- Mark chapter 3, 13 and 14, where, where Jesus called his disciples to him to be with him. And then he sent them out. First, be with him. 
It could be relationships. It could be work. It could be family. All of these things can be weights that keep you, that, 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 that quench your zeal for God, that dull your appetite for God's word. We're called to lay it aside. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 7, I'll never forget when Ralph was preaching this, that, that, that verse just, it, it struck me. Where Paul says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? What hinders you from having this deep, vital relationship with the Lord? I mean, I, I believe this is a passage where we need to just examine ourselves and, God, search me. What's holding me back? What's cooling my zeal? We're to lay it aside. Now, not only are we to lay it aside every weight, but also sin, which clings so closely. That's an interesting picture right there. Sin, I mean, it's just a... You know what it reminded me of? Growing up in the Midwest in the winter, when the heater is on, and everything sticks to you because of the static electricity, just clings to you. And, and that, that's almost what it reminds me of. It, it's anything that, that, see, weights slow us down, but sin entangles our feet and trips us up. What sin do you need to lay aside, throw off? Could it be jealousy? Could it be lust? Could it be pride? Maybe anger. Just can't get rid of that anger. Maybe lying. One we've seen over and over and over again hold people back is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is sin. Colossians 3.13, as Christ has forgiven you, so you also must do. Laziness, pornography, what sin is holding you back from a vital relationship with the Lord, tripping you up, and it's a real threat, and Christians must contend with it. Paul, he understood that in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. He says, why do I do the things that I don't want to do and don't do the things that I know that I should? And then he says, oh, wretched man that I am. We must lay aside, throw aside every, every weight and sin that, so, so, uh, uh, that just clings to us. I mean, think about David. David was running so well. He ran almost as no one had run before. Yet he allowed his heart to lust after Bathsheba. He went down that path and how he entangled he became, the impact it had on his life, his family's kingdom. But we know at the end of his life, it's not how you start, it's how you finish at the end of his life. He was known as a man after God's own heart. He dealt with it. So we need to throw off any sin. It's it's why David prayed in Psalm 139. Let me put it up for you, 23 and 24. It's such a great prayer to pray yourself. Search me, O God, and know my heart because he does. Don't, Don't say, well, I know my heart. No. Our heart is deceitful. It's desperately wicked, the psalm, the uh, um, 
Jeremiah says, who can know it? And see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let me ask you, what sin is entangling you? What weight is holding you back? So to run with steadfast endurance, we run with the faithful. We run with discipline. But not, not only do we run with steadfast endurance, but we run with an undistracted focus. And this, I think, is so important. What's the key to our steadfast endurance? Notice, we're not told to look at this great cloud of witnesses, are we? We're not told to look at the pastor. We're not told to look at our father or mother or teachers. Where are we called to look towards? Look at verse 2. Looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. We run with undistracted focus by looking to Jesus. We look to Jesus. What does that mean? We can put that next slide up. It's to turn your gaze from everything else and focus on a specific thing. I was reading Acts chapter 7 and where Stephen, who was the first martyr, when he was recounting the history of Israel, he was speaking to these religious leaders. And and then he confronted them, and they stoned him. And it says he looked up into heaven, and he saw the son standing next to the father. He was looking to Jesus Now, it's not about ignoring everything else around you, but it's about being so consumed with Jesus that everything else is in its proper perspective. I have to be careful because I'm a news junkie. And being a news junkie changes your perspective. And I sometimes I just like, I got it. I'm not saying we don't watch the news, (laughs) but we don't bury our heads, but I should be more consumed about Jesus than the things that are going on around me because it gives me a right perspective, and that's true with anything in our lives. See, when I fix my eyes on Jesus, when I look to Jesus, all of the things are in perspective, and, and then now I can say, Lord, what would you have me to do in this situation? It helps you to make God-honoring decisions about your career, about your family, about your entertainment. And it's the responsibility of all Christians. But I would say, the men, we need to step up and lead in that. Are we so consumed with Jesus that it's impacting everybody around us? That's why I love what Joshua says in Joshua 24, 15. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't care what anybody else is doing around us. This is who we are. This is who we stand for. We're going to be looking to Jesus. And he tells us who Jesus is. He's the founder of your faith. He's looking to Jesus, the founder of your faith. Jesus is the one in whom our faith is founded. He's the forerunner. He's the pioneer. He's the originator of our faith. He's both the cornerstone and the capstone. He's the solid ground on which we stand. 
on which our hope in, and, and salvation rest. And without him, our faith is futile. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, if, if Jesus is not who he says he is, if he's not been resurrected, then our faith is in vain. But our faith is not in vain because he was resurrected from the dead. But not only is he the founder of your faith, he's the perfecter of your faith. What does he mean by perfecter? He's the finisher. He's the one who completed it. He is both the start and the end of the race. It's not our endurance that guarantees we'll finish the race. It's the fact that Jesus is the finisher of our race. In fact, in Philippians 1.6, Paul says, I'm sure this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. He is the finisher of your faith. Christ's work was perfected when he said on the cross, it is finished. I have accomplished what the Father has called me to do. I have lived a sinless life. And now I am dying a sacrificial death in your place. I am taking the wrath of God on my shoulders. The wrath that you deserved. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He became sin who knew no sin that we might receive the righteousness of God. When he says, it is finished, he says, I have accomplished the work that the Father has called me to do. I have died in your place. Now you just need to trust me by faith and trust in the resurrection and you will have eternal life. I am the finisher of your faith. Christ has done all that is necessary to secure your salvation. And he will see his work through the end. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We run with undistracted focus by looking to who Jesus is, but not only that, by looking to what Jesus did. What did he do? It says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. What did he do? He endured the cross. He endured the cross for you, and he endured the cross for me. In fact, this is the only direct reference to the cross in Hebrews. The cross is a place of cruel and unusual punishment. It's where Jesus endured shame. It's where he endured suffering. Jesus is our example of endurance. In fact, we see that in 1 Peter 2, 21, where it says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He's been our example. Verse 2 is an amazing statement. It says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured this cross, you're not careful, you might look at that and think, where's the joy in the cross? It's not there. He looked beyond the cross to the Father. He looked, he was able to look beyond his present circumstances, trust in the promises of God, and he looked to a future glory. And that's what he's calling us to do, to live by faith, to run this race. 
The joy that was set before him was not the cross, but he looked beyond the cross, knowing that he was accomplishing the Father's work. He looked to a future glory in his reunion with the Father. He rejoiced at the knowledge of what his shame, his suffering, his death would accomplish. The redemption of mankind, of those that put their faith in him. He saw the crown beyond the cross. And we should rejoice when we go through trials. Because by enduring, we gain the crown that waits beyond the cross. Jesus is not only the example of our faith, but is the object of our faith. Looking to Jesus. In fact, he's waiting at the finish line for us. We're to run to him. So we have the cutest granddaughters in the world. One is three and one is one. And our one-year-old, Isla, started walking a little bit late like her father. And got a video the other day of her walking. But the video keeps moving. And you can see them doing this. And what she would do is every time she wanted to quit, she would, she would see her father bringing her forward. And, and she would follow. I mean, it was like there were some pretty hairy steps. And, and it's this whole idea that we keep our eyes on Jesus and we just we keep running to him. That we don't look to our right or to our left that can trip us up. He waits at the finish line for us. It is to him and for him that we run. He's our prize. He's our treasure. He's our motivation. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heaven laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. It's why in John chapter 15, he says, abide in me and I in you. It's to remain in him, to rest in him, to come to him. He becomes the reason for our striving, for our endurance, for our faithfulness. And not only did Jesus endure the cross, but he ascended to heaven. Look at verse 2 again. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And we know that he's at the right hand of the throne of God making intercession for us. The cross is not the end of the story. Jesus was resurrected, and so will we in the final resurrection. The fact is, we know because he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, we can boldly come before the throne of grace, knowing that he's making intercession for us. That means he's with you in whatever you're going through. He strengthens you for the race. You may have big problems, but we have a bigger God. The cloud of witnesses, they face big problems, but they had a bigger God. The fact is, are you weary? Are you faint-hearted? Are you thinking of just... Cashing it in, wanting to call it quits. Look to Jesus. In fact, he continues in verse 3. Notice what he says. Consider him. Consider Jesus. Just put your eyes back on Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And he says, listen, in your struggle against sin, you've not resisted to the point of shedding your blood like Jesus did. 
He's saying, press on, keep, keep running. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. Let me ask you. How are you running? Are you running with steadfast endurance? What do you need to throw off? Are you running with an undistracted focus? Are you looking to Jesus? There was a uh, professor at Southwestern Theological Seminary, a place where I did a lot of work. His name was Dr. Jeff Ray. He served as professor of preaching. He taught in the 1940s when he was more than 80 years old. But he had a life of trouble and tragedy. Early in his adult life, his first wife died, leaving him to be both the father and mother of his children. Things got worse one day in the early 1930s when he received news that his son had died. This added to other burdens, and it threatened to dry the vitality out of Dr. Ray. For a time, he quit teaching. He quit preaching. He was dejected and depressed. He was unable to develop really an interest in anything and was ready to say, I can't go on. I just can't keep going. And then one day, the wife of the seminary librarian sent her husband to meet with Dr. Ray with a scrapbook. It had all kinds of poems and articles in it that had ministered to her. And he read through them, and there was one that just struck him. It, it, was, it, was, it was titled, I Won't Let Go. I Won't Let Go. Which is something that he realized he wanted to do. The poem read like this. I want to let go, but I won't let go. There are battles to fight by day and by night. For God in the right, and I'll never let go. I want to let go, but I won't let go. I'm sick, tis true, worried and blue, and worn through and through, but I won't let go. I want to let go, but I won't let go. I will never yield. What? Lie down on the field and surrender my shield? No, I'll never let go. I want to let go, but I won't let go. May this be my song, mid legions of wrong. Oh, God, keep me strong that I may never let go. The author is unknown. But after reading this poem, he closed the scrapbook. He got up from his couch of grief and, and defeat, and he put behind him any thought of giving up and quitting. He returned to the classroom to teach. He returned to pulpits to preach, and for many years he distributed copies of this poem to different people. Many have found encouragement in this testimony and from the prome that says, don't let go. Let me ask you, are you running the race with endurance that is set before you? What sins, what weight do you need to throw off? Are you running with, dist with undistracted focus, looking to Jesus, the only one worth looking towards? I'm going to ask our worship team to come up here. I want to remind you, it's not how you start, but what? 
how you finish. Again, Paul said, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. And he knew that there was a crown laid up for him in heaven. This series on the cloud of witnesses, it's a reminder for us to run. To run. To not look back. To press forward to the upward call of Christ. Now, you can't finish the race if you've never started it. The way you start the race is you have to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if there's never been a time that you've done that, then I would pray even now you would put your faith in Jesus Christ as your only hope for eternal salvation. What does that mean? It means turning from your sin, turning from yourself, and turning to Jesus. It's confessing your sin. I, I, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a Savior. And I look to you as my only hope for eternal life. And you start that race. And you run with endurance. And you look to Jesus. Some of you, maybe you've gotten off the racetrack. And maybe today is a reminder, I need to get back on that track. And I need to run. And continue running. Get rid of any distractions that could keep me from running. So one day I would hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Father, we thank you for this text of Scripture, these men and women of faith that have testified to us, the fact that they could endure great trials, they could endure great suffering, and they did it by faith. Many of them, never having received what was promised, died in faith. Father, thank you for the reminder that we need to throw off every weight and sin that so easily entangles us. And that we have Jesus to look at, who is the author and finisher of our faith. Father, let us declare Jesus no matter what we're going through. Let him be our light.